glad to have you this morning. Uh, Derek is not with us this morning, so he's asked me to fill in, and uh, I'm excited to be able to fill in. We're going to be in, in Luke chapter 14 this morning, uh, and we're actually going to be looking at the parable entitled, The Cost of Discipleship. Uh, but before we kind of engage in that, you kind of have to know the background of it. So Jesus is doing his public ministry, and now his public ministry has pretty much gone viral. Uh, he has large crowds following him everywhere he goes. And right in the middle of all of his ministry, with all these large crowds following him, he's going to begin to give us, it almost sounds like, not a disclaimer, but he's going to begin to try to discourage you from following him rather than encourage. Because at this point, the crowd has seen him heal people. The crowd has seen him change people's lives. And so their mentality of salvation is just life free, fun, and, and easy going. Which is, to an extent, somewhat true. But there is another side to salvation. In fact, in America today, we typically tell you, come to Jesus, he's going to change your life, life's going to be great, it's going to be wonderful, you'll never have to have any problems again, and so on and so forth. And that is exactly the opposite that Jesus is going to be sharing. Uh, and so there is a cost for salvation, which was our Savior's life. There is also a cost for discipleship. And so even though salvation changes us and makes us a whole new person and our sins are forgiven and our past is wiped away, it then brings on other responsibilities and it will bring on other difficulties. And this is one of the things that he is trying uh, to tell this crowd that there is always another side to things. We've just been told recently in the United States that salvation is just wonderful it's carefree, easygoing, fun-filled, right? That's what you kind of see all the time. But there is another side to salvation. And so as Paul Harvey would say, we're going to see the rest of the story. So the cost of discipleship. In fact, Louis Giglio says, no big shocker that following Jesus is costly. The best things in life always are. And so we always, there will always be a cost in following Christ. So what leads up to our parable this morning is that, first of all, he says, in order, when you come to follow Christ, the cost may be losing your family and friends. And you read that in the previous verses, 26 through 27 in Luke 14, where he says, if you don't hate your brother, and that word hate, he doesn't mean you hate your family. What it really means is that you're going to love them less than you love Christ. In other words, there will come a time in your life when you begin to follow the Lord that you may actually be somewhat distanced, you may be somewhat separated from your family if you're going to truly hold to Christ's teaching and Christ's word and following. And sometimes it's not over moral and ethical things, sometimes it can be over the simplest things. For example, in my life personally, um, I grew up in a real renowned denomination. My entire family grew up in this denomination. And when I began to distance myself from the denomination, my family began to distance themselves from me. In fact, I was told I was foolish, I was stupid, uh, I was just, that was the craziest thing I could ever do. After all, I had spent my entire life in this denomination, 
I was taught everything to know about this denomination. And now that I'm distancing myself from this denomination, uh, my family thought I was crazy. Well, I had to make a choice. Do I follow and hold near and dear to my family in the denomination? Or do I hold near and dear to the Bible and follow what the Bible teaches? Well, needless to say, I have held to what the Bible teaches. Somewhat. In fact, even to one of my family members, my immediate family member, uh, we have a hard time sitting down and talking because my sister's husband is a pastor of this denomination and I'm no longer affiliated with that denomination and we don't see eye to eye on some things. And sometimes it is hard for us to sit down and talk because they immediately want to try to straighten me out where I'm wrong because I don't line up with the denomination anymore. We've learned just to leave some theological things alone at the table. At Thanksgiving, at Christmas, when we're around one another. You understand that when you follow Christ, it probably will create a somewhat of a severance with some family members. I know of another uh, person in our church that their family member were alcoholics. And when this person became saved, one of the things that they decided to do is that they would not be around their family members if drinking was involved. Well, the family members got upset about that, and they just said, no, this is my belief. This is what I'm holding to. Listen, you can quit drinking while I'm around. You don't have to be doing that while I'm around if you want me around. Well, for them, it worked out pretty good. So what I'm trying to tell you is when you come to Christ, Jesus says, first of all, you need to understand, when you come to follow me, you may have a, there may be a separation. There may be a distancing with some family members. In other words, following me sometimes doesn't gel things together. Sometimes it severs things. He also goes on to say that when you follow me, there will be a cost of building a whole new life. In fact, he says, does a man, when he first goes out to build a building, does he not count the cost? In other words, when, when he's building a house, he's building a business, usually you count the cost. What is it going to cost me to build this house? What is it going to cost me to... After all, Ray, you, you probably, you're building a home right now. You probably figured out what it's going to cost to build it, right? You, you do that first. He says, well, the same way. If you're going to follow me, Jesus says, you better first of all figure out what it's going to cost to build this new life. Because see, when we follow Christ, sometimes that means you're going to gain a whole new set of friends. You're going to gain a whole new set of hobbies. Uh, everything changes because your life completely changes. And you have to figure out is it worth the cost? I'm starting a new life. That means I'm probably going to lose friends. I'm starting a new life. That means the bars that I used to go to, I'm no longer going to go to. The, the habits I used to have, I'm no longer going to have. So I need to count the cost to make sure this is what I'm going to do. Once again, if we truly come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, it will cost us dearly. It will cost us with families and friends. It will cost us with building a new life. And the, the parable that we're going to look at this morning is the cost of declaring war. Now, the first two were what we call voluntary acts. You get to make that choice. You get to make the choice whether you want to come to Christ and lose family members. You get to choose whether or not you want to build this new life. But this third one is not voluntary. It's involuntary. When we come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior... We declare war on the enemy and vice versa. Then the enemy declares war on us and we have to understand it is a war. And that's what Jesus says in Luke 14, 31. 
he makes this statement. Or what king would go out to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? Notice that this king has 10,000 soldiers. It's been declared to him that another king who has 20,000 soldiers is going to strike war against him. Well, now he has to first figure out, can I defeat this king? I've only got 10,000. I am outnumbered two to one. Is it possible? Is it feasible that my 10,000 can defeat his 20,000? So the king then has to begin to make some some calculated decisions. He has to begin to search for, for counselors. But notice that a war has been declared. And in case you haven't figured this out yet or not, church, <laughs> the Christian life really isn't a playground. It's a battleground. We, we fight every day with the enemy. And if you're not fighting every day with the enemy, if you're not engaged in battle, more than likely you may be on the same side. Because the enemy is at war with us. And our Christian life is a war. In fact, the Bible tells us, it says that we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. Notice that Paul tells us in Corinthians that your life is a war. It's not a playground. Uh, it's, it's not a battleground. I mean, it's a battleground. We, we are fighting in a battle. He also goes on to say in 2 Timothy, he says, I have fought the good fight. So we need to know that when we come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and if we're going to follow him as Lord and Savior, then you will engage in war. Now, the question is, when do you think that war will end? Say it again. When Jesus returns or what else are you? You die and you go to heaven. Other than that, the war is on. Now, we, we do have times of uh, reprieve. We, we do have times of, of kind of a, a, a peace of war. But the thing about it is, we are in war. And that's what Jesus says. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciples, then you're going to lose some family members. You're going to build a new life and you're going to go to war. Well, if we're going to go to war, then we're going to have to prepare for war. You realize that. Jesus has made it clear. Paul's made it clear that the Christian life is a war zone. Therefore, we need to prepare for war. If you don't believe me, do you realize in 2015, the United States spent over $598 billion to protect our country on soldiers, on, on weaponry, everything. Not only that, we know as of January 31st this year, we have 1.4 million people serving in the military. The reason why we are so free in America, the reason why we are so protected is because we spend a lot of money. We have a lot of people who spend a lot of time in basic training and in, in classes that prepare them over and over again on defense so that if war breaks out, we are ready for the war. So if the United States is preparing for war and we realize the freedoms we have and the blessings we have because we have spent so much money and we have taken so many people and so much time to protect this country 
then the same should be for us is that we should spend time. We should be around people. We should spend our money. We should spend investing our lives preparing for the battle so when the battle comes, we will not be defeated. Because you can say, I'd rather not prepare. And you don't have to prepare. But trust me, when you leave this morning, you will be at war. And if you're not prepared for battle, you will be destroyed. Because when two companies go to war, I promise you, both of them usually are preparing. If not, we know that one. So let me help you out. This is what the Bible says. But I'm not surprised even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Satan uses disguises. He's preparing. He's prepping on how to trick you, on how to trick me, on how to manipulate his life into your life. He's making what you're trying to do seem good. He makes it so it's justifiable. He disguises himself as an angel of light so that you will fall prey to his tactics and then he defeats you. We've all been there. We've all had this moment in our life where um, we thought what we were doing was right. And then after all was said and done, we realized how wrong it was. And that's because Satan allows us to think he's the angel of light. The Bible also says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And of course, he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat any tree in the garden? We know Satan is crafty. He's sharp. He's wise. He's tricky. And when he goes to battle us, he prepares. He prepares the battle for you. Now you have to understand, just like anything, when... When companies prepare a battle, they figure out the weakness of the enemy and that's what they attack. They, they know what they're going after. They, they manipulate that to make it work. Uh, there is a, a story about an ancient um, Chinese military guy that made my Tao Soon. And Tao Soon knew that the only way he could defeat one of his enemies was to take his very own people and integrate them into the enemy's culture. And for about five years, they worked with them, they slept with them, they socialized with them, and they waited till the time was right. And when the time was right, when Tao Singh then declared war because he'd already had infiltrated their company and they didn't even know it, they destroyed the enemy. Satan will use his tactics to infiltrate us. And we have to be prepared to see that. We know that the Bible says that the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's what his whole purpose is about. His purpose is to steal God's love and God's joy from you. He wants to kill you and destroy everything in your path. He is preparing to do that very thing. We also know that it tells us to stay alert, to watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So what we need to know is that as Jesus told, tells us, a war has been declared upon you and me. And the enemy and the enemy's friends and foes that are with him, they are preparing to attack you. They are preparing to kill you, to destroy you. They're making preparation just for you. If that is the case then, then don't you think it's probably wise on our part 
to prepare for him. Because if we don't prepare, we will be in trouble. How do we do that? Well, the Bible tells us to study, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We also know that the Bible says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Anytime Jesus battled Satan, he always quoted scripture back to Satan. Always quoted the truth. If you have the truth in your heart and life, if that truth will begin to get in your your mind, it will begin to get into your emotions and your feelings, you'll begin to quote that and, and live that and eat that and breathe that. When the enemy attacks you in that area, you'll be able to know it's his attack and you'll be able to defeat him. My battles may not be your battles. Your battles may not be the battles to, next to the person that you're sitting next to. But there is not a battle that you will not go through in life that the Word of God has not already addressed. And so we have to begin to memorize the Word, study the Word, know the Word, so that when the enemy tries to pull at our emotions, when the enemy tries to beat down our consciousness and our confidence, you'll be able to have Scripture to battle against that. We have to be prepared. Usually we sin. Usually we fall because we don't have a scripture to go back to to remind us. We don't have a scripture to go back to to enable us. We don't have a scripture to go back to to empower us. That's why it is so important and imperative in our lives today that we memorize the word of God so that when the enemy attacks, we know exactly what he says. Also, we're told to pray without ceasing. Continual prayer. Because if you're talking with the Lord, then you won't be communicating with the devil. Let's just go back to the very first sin in the Bible. Do you remember the very first sin in the Bible? Do you remember that Eve was with Adam? And who was the third party involved? Satan. But who was not there? God. All of a sudden, they had distanced themselves from God. If they had been, and we know that the Lord walked with them and talked with them. We, we read that. But all of a sudden, he wasn't around. And rather than going back to the Lord and discussing wisdom from him, here we go. Here comes the tactic. Did God really say, you, you eat this, you die? And what she should have said was, well, hold on. Really, if we go back to the whole heart of it, really Adam should have said, hang on, you're talking to my wife and I am the defender of my wife. Get away from me, you talk to me. But Adam let her go first. All reality, they should have said, wait, 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 wait. You know, that's a, that's a pretty good idea, Satan. Let me go back to the Lord and see what he really says about that. God, did you really say I would die if I did this? And the Lord said, surely. But see, they didn't consult the Lord's wisdom. He wasn't even around. So when we are praying when we are seeking God's wisdom in our life, it will be easier to defeat the enemy. So we have to prepare. You don't have to prepare, but you will fall. We constantly, as Americans, prepare over and over and over for any and every war we will ever face. Whether it's chemical, whether it's nuclear, whether it's cyber, it doesn't matter. We are preparing 
for the battles that may come. So when they do come, we're ready. As Christians, Jesus has already told us that we are at war. So we must prepare for that battle. And if you're not preparing, you're going to be in trouble. Also in war, we need allies. An ally is an allegiance of nations joining together to fight a common enemy. Almost any and every war that's ever been fought on planet Earth, there has always been allies together. Probably the most popular one that we can think of was World War II. Remember when Hitler and, and Germany start declaring war on Poland, and all of a sudden Japan and them form the allegiance with Germany, and then their allegiance, then Japan bombs Pearl Harbor, and then all of a sudden we have our allegiance with other countries. Ultimately, we win. In order for us to win battles, we have to have allegiances. We need to have allies with other, with other countries. In the Christian life, you need to learn to have allies that are around you, that can support you, that can help you fight, that can encourage you to move forward. Go out through the book of the Bible. Anytime there was a war in the Bible, probably if you read like in First and Second Kings of the, the history of the nation of Israel, and you can also read in Chronicles, you will see just kind of the nation of Israel where there was constant fighting, but there was also constant alliance and allegiances with other kingdoms and other nations to fight one another. Do you realize that you need to form some allegiances and some allies in this thing called life so that when Satan attacks you, you can defeat him? Because it is not good for you to be alone. I know that because the Bible says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper who is just right for him. Now, we know God was talking about Adam, and ladies, I don't want to burst your bubble, but he really wasn't saying that poor old Adam, if he's left alone, he's in trouble. But we kind of do know that us men, when we're left alone, we get in big trouble. But now you ladies, when you're left alone, it's the same way. It's not too much of a difference. God understood that mankind needs, needs help, that mankind needs a relationship, that mankind needs fellowship, that mankind needs socialization. Because when you do not have relationships and fellowship and socialization, you are going to be destroyed. What's usually the first thing that happens in a human being's life when either their feelings get hurt uh, they get fired from a job, things go wrong in their life, what's the first thing they do? They withdraw, exactly. You withdraw. That's the enemy's tactic. Let me let you withdraw. I've never understood that. Brother Chuck, I'm having a hard time in life, so I'm going to take a break from church right now. That's a commonality. Hear that all the time. I need to take, that's like saying, you know, I'm having a hard time breathing right now. I think I'll just quit breathing for a while so I can take a break. No, you breathe. Your heart beats. But the devil has used this over and over. We get our feelings hurt. Uh, we, we feel like we're not a part of the group. Uh, some, some things come in our life, and immediately we begin to withdraw. Because the enemy knows that if you withdraw and you get all alone by yourself, he will defeat you so easily. When a nation tries to be autonomous all by itself and it doesn't have any alliances or allegiances with it it will be defeated god realized it was not good for being alone in fact even when jesus sent out the the 72 notice what it says the lord chose 72 other disciples 
and he sent them out in pairs. Notice he didn't send them out one-on-one. He sent them out in a pair because he realizes that, church, we need, we need some allegiances with one another. We need, we need allies. We need people who can help us. Let us think of ways to motivate one another, acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of return is drawing near. The one thing that we need, other than our personal relationship with Christ, is we need other Christians to love us, to support us, to fuss at us, to tell us when we're wrong, to pick us up when we fall, to be there when we're needed. That's what our job is as a church. That's what our job is as a body of believers, is that we're supposed to tell people when they're wrong. We're supposed to encourage people when they need it. We're supposed to love one another, encourage one another, support one another. We see this in the book of Hebrews, where some people are moving away. So the one another is very important. We need each other. It's it's just a fact. We need each other. Do you agree? All right, if you agree, then tell the person next to you, I need you. And I know it's, it may be your husband and wife, we understand that, but we need each other to grow spiritually. In war, we need allies. Do you realize just in the New Testament alone, there are 52 Bible verses in the New Testament alone on one another, as far as loving one another, encouraging one another. There are 30 different ideals which can be broken down into five categories. So, if 52 verses in the New Testament deal with one another, how we should love one another, encourage one another, rebuke one another, if that's in there, then you have to understand that's important. It is important for us to make some allies. It's important for us to grow as a family. So, Jesus says, listen, if you're going to follow me, war is going to be declared on your life. And if you're going to win this war, first of all, you've got to prepare for the battle. Second, you've got to learn to make some alliances and some allegiances. And last, in war, you, you've got to learn to use some unique strategies. You've got to learn to fight in a whole new way. So, for instance, remember the, the story of the Battle of Jericho? You read this in Joshua. They walk around the city of Jericho one time for six days. Never say a word. Now, could you imagine? Could you imagine being part of this army? Now, let me get this right, Joshua. Commander, you want us to walk around this walled city once a day for six days and not utter a word. Man, come on. What kind of tactic is that? What kind of strategy is that? And then on the seventh day, we're going to walk around seven times and then we're going to shout and then the walls fall down. And that's exactly what happened. Now, for those who have a military background, this is like the most foreign, the most craziest idea you'd ever think of in a war tactic. But yet it worked. Because God knew how to defeat. Well, the second one we look at is Gideon and the battle of the Midianites. So, so Gideon has 32,000 soldiers. He's getting ready to go to war with Midian. <laughs> and, and God says, you don't need that many. 
Gideon says, okay. So the Lord says, Gideon, why don't you tell the guys that are scared and don't want to go, tell them to leave. So he says that and 22,000 men leave. <laughs> okay, God, well, let me get this right. We're getting ready to go to this severe battle. And now I'm down to about 10,000 guys. He said, well, I want you to go to the water next and have those guys drink out of the river. And of course, they had some guys that just leaned all the way down and drank. They had other guys that scooped up. The guys that scooped up their water were only 300. And the Lord said, okay, Gideon, that's your army right there. Take those 300 men. So let me get this right, Lord. I'm going to only take 300 guys, and I'm getting ready to fight the Midianite army with 300 guys. Yes, because that's what I want you to do. And 130,000 men died that day from these 300 guys. Crazy. Once again, the, the, the mindset is just bizarre. And of course, the one that you're most familiar with, David and Goliath. So here's this little guy that probably stands about maybe five and a half feet tall. He's going to fight a guy that's about ten feet tall. They estimated Goliath to be about nine foot six inches tall. That's a big old man. Nine six. Basketball goal is ten foot tall. So David comes to Goliath with just five stones. Of course, you remember the story. Saul says, here, you need to put on my armor. And David's like, hey, your armor's too big. I won't need it. And David chooses five stones out of the brook to fight this giant. Which, here you go again, crazy, crazy idea if you're thinking of this. But yet, he did what God told him to do, and he kills Goliath. And the reason why he chose five stones, it wasn't because he thought he'd miss. The historians tell us that Goliath had four other brothers. And so David was going to go ahead and take care of the whole party. But for us, that would be r ridiculous. I mean, if you've ever watched some of these boxers, like, you know, McGregor's getting ready to fight again. Could you imagine jumping in the ring with McGregor and the Lord says, okay, here's what I want you to do. And he gives you, well, you first of all, you said, Brother Chuck, I would never step, step in the ring with McGregor. I mean, he's a UFC fighter. That would be crazy. But then God gives you a way to defeat him. You're like, Lord, that's the most craziest, insane idea I've ever heard. We must use the unique tactics that God has given us to fight the enemy. I don't know what battles you're going on right now in your life. You may have a boss right now that's not the best boss in the world. And I'm sure you've had some good thoughts of how you could take care of your boss. I have a great boss. Ask the Lord. Lord, how do I, how do I, how do I go about with my, my boss? That just everything, I can't do anything right for him. I can't do anything right for her. And the Lord may say, I want you to be kind to them. I want you to encourage them. <laughs> and you're like, wait, 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 Lord. They do nothing good for me. Once again, this is, you got to understand the battle. The battles are unique. The strategies are unique. Be kind. Because in being kind, you're going to change them. Well, well, Lord, I've got a difficult spouse right now. Lord, I'm dealing with some unruly children in my life god i'm dealing with this lord I'm, I'm dealing with this temptation god how do i learn to let go of this memory god how do i learn to 
to let go of this experience in my life and move forward and move on. And if you'll pray and you'll read the scriptures, God is going to give you the way of doing that. And if you will seek wise and godly counsel, which would be an ally, they'll give you counsel on how to do that. But you have to do that. I'm no different than you are. Sometimes people think, well, the pastors, they have it easy. Man, you guys never have to go through anything. You got it made. No, we probably fight more battles than you fight. So we're, we're, a lot of times you think we're on our face and on our, our, our hands and knees praying just for God's revelation. Really, sometimes we're just praying for God's intervention on how do we fight this? How do we deal with this, Lord? How do I handle this? Because the problems that you go through, I go through. The situations you have in your life, I have in my life. It's no different. But running from my situations won't solve the problem. That seems to be a lot of people's idea today. You know, I'll just run from my problem. Do you, do you realize if you run from your problem, that doesn't help? Because no matter where you go, there you are. Your problem is probably you. And, and we have to learn, as Jesus has told us, that we've got to learn to know what is right. We've got to learn to know what is wrong. We, we've got to learn to see what is true. We've got to learn to see what is false. Jesus said, listen, if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to follow me, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to let go of some family members. You're going to have to develop a whole new life. You're going to have to know you're getting ready to engage in war. And that war will not be easy. It will be costly. But if you want to have eternal life, then you got to know the war is declared. I, I found this this past week, and you probably, I don't know if you can read it from way back there. It says, Today we have lost that black and white distinction between good and evil. Tolerance is presented as the great religious value. Indeed, tolerance of diversity is a high Christian value, but often today tolerance is taken to mean the virtue of accepting nearly everything, uh, behavior under the sun, Anything goes in the name of tolerance. A sweeping moral relativism is the result and children grow up with fewer and fewer moral absolutes to guide them. We seldom hear the term sin anymore, but instead a dozen much milder words are employed. Surely the Lord will not tolerate this admonition to his high holiness forever. We are, we are getting to the place today where we're not calling sin, sin anymore. And, and the behaviors and the attitudes we have, we call them justifiable and okay. When they're not. And we have to learn to see that the enemy, remember I was telling you about Tang Su, who, who infiltrated his, his people into the neighboring nation, and they begin to eat with them, sleep with them, be a part of their culture. They just kind of integrated themselves with them, so when war was declared, they were defeated. We are allowing Satan more and more to integrate his tactics. We're allowing him to integrate his beliefs into our lives so that the Bible is becoming weaker in our life, the Word of God is becoming absent in our life, God's holiness is no longer in our life and we think we're okay when we're not. We have to be so careful today not to allow the enemy to infiltrate 
his disguises, to infiltrate his disgusting pleas and tactics, ploys and tactics in our life that will ultimately defeat us. We must see the truth. We must see that a lie is a lie, the truth is the truth. We've got to see that right is right and wrong is wrong. And if we're not careful, that is not going to happen. So just kind of one of the things that you'll understand, I heard this years ago that what one generation tolerates, the next generation embraces. The generation below me right now has embraced homosexuality as a normal lifestyle. And it is not normal. In fact, the Bible declares just the opposite. But because my generation has tolerated it, this next generation will embrace it. And you have to be careful in your homes and around your children and around your grandchildren, even in your workplace. You have to be careful not to allow the enemy to embed his, his tactics in your life so that you just endure. Listen, if they're going to tell dirty jokes at your work, walk away. Just say, I don't need to hear that. Thank you. If, if they're going to begin to talk about the boss at your work, just walk away. Unless you're the boss and you may want to stick around and figure out what's going on. You have to learn. Because when you stay around, you are condoning wrong behavior. When in all reality, it should be condemned. We're allowing the enemy to, to get in our life. And most of us don't like to fight to start with. I don't, there's very few people in the world that really like to fight. Most of us, we avoid fights. We don't like, anybody in here really like confrontation? Does anybody really like confrontation? See, none of us really want to have any type of confrontation. But to be honest with you, you're going to have to have confrontation a lot in your life because the enemy is going to want to box you in and tell you to accept something that you do not need to accept. He's going to tell you to allow things that you do not need to allow. Jesus said, if you're really going to be my disciple, you're going to war. So you need to prepare. You need to face some, uh, you need to get some allies with you. And you need to learn the strategies that I have for you, not that somebody else has for you. You may say this morning, Pastor Chuck, that sounds good. But you don't know what's going on in my life right now. You don't know the battles that I'm facing. All I know is that the greatest battle that was ever won for me was not on Calvary. The greatest battle that was ever won when I was seven years old and I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. That was the greatest battle ever won for me because I gave my life to the Lord. When Christ died on the cross for your sins, He won that battle. And although you may be overwhelmed as David was with Goliath, as Gideon was with the Mennonites, you have to understand that God has already given you the victory if you'll just fight the fight He's given you and do what He tells you to do. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 1-4 through 4 probably say it the clearest. When you go out to fight your enemies and you face horses and chariots and an army greater than your own, do not be afraid. The Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt is with you. When you prepare for battle, the priests will come forward to speak to the troops. He will say to them, listen to me, all you men of Israel. Do not be afraid as you go out to fight your enemies today. 
Do not lose heart or panic or tremble or before them, for the Lord your God is going with you. He will fight for you against your enemies, and he will give you victory. As one of your pastors, I want to encourage you today to know this, that when you go out to fight your battles, the Lord is going to fight with you. And all you have to do is listen to him and follow his lead, and they will be defeated. There is no battle that you will ever, ever face that God will not give you victory. Ever. There is no experience that you've ever had that God can't give you healing, that God can't give you forgiveness, that God can't give you restoration. There is no battle that will lie before you that God can't give you victory and success if you'll simply learn to prepare for it, to gather wise counsel around you to help you through it, and then fight the way God tells you to fight. Church, the Christian life is an incredible, fulfilled life, but it is a life full of war and battles. And if we'll fight them with the Lord, He will fight them for us so that we can be victorious. Let's pray.